Welcome to the Tom Bernard Show. I am sitting in for Tom Bernard. He'll eventually be here, we promise. And with me is... Tevin Pittman. Alex Bernard Rasmussen. Andy Bernard. And Mike Bryant. And we'll be back after these fabulous messages from our fabulous sponsors. You want to do it? No, I won't put her through that. <laughs> oh. Well, you can just like talk. <laughs> and I'll just agree. How about that? Yeah. I'll just agree with anything you have to say. Yeah, you won't. Because then I would like come up with stuff that you'd be like, no, I don't agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. French, you don't I'm trust French. me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Just run Doug and we can go from there. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Uh, we're just trying to represent people who have been injured through no fault of their own. We're trying to talk to them before they talk to an adjuster or before they take a settlement that isn't something they should get based upon their injuries. How many people are out there in different, not in the law business, that love to run around scaring people before you even get to them? Well, adjusters will want to settle cases right. and they want to close files. So based upon that, they do what they have to. Um, I think there's a lot of circumstances where they probably act as attorneys where they're not attorneys and they try yeah. to explain people's rights or they give them a certain view that if they look at it. And what I always say is this, if the adjuster really truly thinks the offer they made makes sense, they'd have them come see us. You know, And that's exactly my my question is, you have to understand who has the best, your best interest in mind, correct? Well, you want to know what your rights are. You know, whether yep. or not you decide yep. you're going to hire us or not, that's a choice. It's a free consultation, and you want to understand what your, all your rights are and what coverages you have. And plus the fact, I hang out with you, so you got to be a good guy <laughs> if I'm hanging out with you. Uh, maybe. <laughs> uh, okay. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. Back in the saddle again. We're back in the saddle again. Okay, Gene Autry, what's that all about? Well, after our normal break, Coon Rapids Nissan and Walzer Nissan are back on the air with 10 months of terrible commercials. Ever think of hiring a copywriter? Pat's pretty good. Hey, we're selling cars, not carpets. Anyways, too expensive. Check out our new press release. This just in, Burnsville Nissan and Coon Rapids Nissan have started out 2022 as the number one and number two dealers in the state of Minnesota. Jason Leckler has been quoted as saying, this is the year I bump off Dan Resch. He studied animal husbandry for crying out loud. Dan replied with, blow it, J-Lo. What do you think? Um, maybe you should hire a copywriter. Cool that they're leading the sales race, though. That's good. Yeah, it's actually more than good. Because they were so dominant last year, we've earned more than our fair share of new Nissans. We have 40 Altimas available for March and 120 Rogues. Check out the huge selection of Nissans at Burnsville Nissan and Coon Rapids Nissan. Hey folks, Brian Zepp here. Spring is gearing up, and if you're like me, you've already got the itch to hit the road. Make sure you and your motorcycle are ready with Dennis Kirk. Whatever you ride, Harley, Indian, metric cruiser, or sport bike, you'll find what you need at DennisKirk.com. They've got 160,000 parts and accessories in stock, clothing and helmets too. Order before 8 p.m. and they ship the same day. Plus, shipping is free for orders over 89 bucks. Get in gear and head to DennisKirk.com. Take it from Zepp. They ship today. Welcome back to the Tom Bernard Show. Without Tom Bernard for now. Called the family, but... Whichever. You know, I'm never going to get over calling it the Tom Bernard Show. Because it really is his show. (laughs) It really is his show. That's true. Do we have the guest? Yes, it's the guest's show right now. Yeah. Oh, yes. We've got uh, Dr. Andres with us. Yeah. Yes. 
Hello, how are morning, you today? Everyone. Good morning. We've got uh, uh, Dr. Dr. Stanley Andres, not only a doctor, but an author. His new book is called From Prison Cells to PhD, It Is Never Too Late to Do Good. Uh, you've got quite the story here. I was reading your uh, descriptor. Can you just tell us in your own words what what happened when you were young yeah. and how you turned into a, a doctor and an author? <laughs> sure. First, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for uh, giving me the opportunity to share with your audience. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm a formerly incarcerated person with three felony convictions, was sentenced to 10 years in prison as a prior and persistent career criminal, was told by the prosecutor that uh, I was hopeless and was going to be in this revolving door of incarceration. Fast forward some time, uh, I'm now Dr. Stanley Andres, an endocrine scientist professor at Howard University College of Medicine, formerly at Johns Hopkins Medicine. Uh, also, I hold visiting professorships at, at Georgetown Medicine and I didn't think that was quite enough title, so I, I took my hustle across seas and <laughs> took my talents uh, uh, on the other side of the pond, and I'm also a visiting professor at uh, Imperial College London, which is uh, kind of an Ivy League of, of the UK. Um, so clearly I didn't quite live up to the expectations and prophecy of this of this prosecutor who, who thought I was, you know, in my early 20s going to be, uh, you know, stuck in the revolving door of incarceration. Um, so, you know, you mentioned, talk a little bit about my childhood. I'm, I'm from the Ferguson, Missouri area uh, of North St. Louis. I think we all know a little bit about Ferguson um, and, you know, different things that, that, that went on. Of course, my challenges were previous to everyone knowing about the uh, excessive and over-policing and things of that nature. But um, I got involved in, in selling drugs before I was even a teenager, was arrested for the first time at 14 years old, continued to make poor decisions that, that led me deeper and deeper into the criminal legal system uh, to that point that I was sitting you know, in that courtroom in my early 20s looking at 20 years to life in prison. Um, and you know, even also to the, I talk about this in the book, there's a we we know I talk a little bit about what's going what was going on in Ferguson and, and things of that nature, uh, but on, on my personal level, which is true for many people that end up in the system, before I even was labeled a criminal officially by the system, you know that first arrest and conviction uh, in the classroom, I was already kind of seen as a criminal and bad person. I was already placed into this school-to-prison pipeline, even, you know, as early as elementary and middle school, where I was just in and out of detention and suspension and almost being expelled and just thought of as kind of the troublemaker and um, really um, hadn't, my intellectual capabilities hadn't really been harvested or nurtured uh, as much as the idea of me being a troublemaker was being... What was the catalyst for... Time, so. What was the catalyst uh, for you to little, change? I'm sorry, I'm having a little so cutting out here. I was, can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can now, yes. Thank you. Oh, sorry about that. I'm sorry if I interrupted um, you. I'm sorry. I thought that you had stopped talking. <laughs> all, all's good on this end. Oh, no, no, okay. no. no. Okay. 
Yeah, yeah. So the the catalyst for change was a combination of uh, two things, really. Um, so if I could even talk a little bit about my uh, sentencing day. Um, so I had already been in and out of um, courthouses and the criminal legal system for some time. Um, and sitting in the courtroom, having the prosecutor kind of paint this picture of me being this dangerous threat to society and all the you know, her mentioning all the things that I had truly done, there was, you know, facts to the things that she was mentioning, uh, but the stroke of the brush was really that I was this irreparable person, um, mm-hmm. and that really sunk deep into, you know, a young, I was still a young kid, essentially, in my early 20s, um, and really believed a lot of what was being told and what was being said about me, and one thing that I usually share is on that particular day when the judge finally gave her sentence of 10 years, uh, I was just completely like blown away and just in disbelief and kind of in this out-of-body experience. When I finally came back to, I asked the judge if I could go hug my mother, and uh, she denied me the opportunity oh, uh, to go hug God. my mother, who at this point was bawling in tears. I'm the youngest of five. Uh, we're, we're an immigrant family, so from you know my family's Haitian. We kind of were really close knit, um, so it was a, a devastating blow to her and the family. And you know, all I wanted to do was go console her in that moment, just to give her one hug before I went away. And the judge denied me that opportunity. And that, although I had been in and out of the system already, it was at that point that it was just hit me like a ton of bricks. That you know, I'm no longer seen as a person. I'm just a criminal. I'm just an inmate. I'm just an offender with a number. Um, and I'm not afforded the civility and humanity that you would, you know, give a person to, you know, hug their mother. And prison, then you go into prison, and almost every day is another, you know, major hit in the face of that you don't have value and importance. So that was this challenge I was going through. And to get to to your question about what was the turning point, like I was going through this you know, early on in my incarceration, this very deep depression and even moving into having suicidal thoughts and that my life was over. Um, And there's this psychological, emotional toll that's being put on folks who go through that particular experience. Um, I, I was fortunate enough to have this mentor step into my life that really saw me using the talents and, um, potential I had in a different manner. He started investing in that potential um, and literally putting money in my books and spending time to contact me and stay in touch. Uh, That person tied with, um, over the course of about two years, my dad went through a number of hospitalizations, surgeries, and amputations to where he uh, eventually lost his battle with type 2 diabetes. Um, And I felt... Uh, I had become kind of estranged from uh, my father and um, through all the poor decisions that I was making. And that really, I felt a level of guilt that he was relatively healthy before I left. And then all of a sudden, uh, you know, he fell very ill and and then eventually lost that battle. Um, But what it did for me was I began to become very intrigued and learning about how diabetes takes someone to that level. So I asked this mentor that had stepped into my life to start sending me uh, scientific articles on diabetes. I read my first 
scientific article on diabetes while I was locked in a cage. And what that actually did for me was, um, you know, although my body was physically locked in this prison cell, my mind was freely roaming through the human cell, and I developed this love for what I do now. I didn't know that it would take me to becoming, you know, Dr. Stan Andrews. I just started falling in love with the science of the human cell and, and, and diabetes. Um, and, you know, a scientific article, if you, know, you or any of your viewers are familiar, it's very difficult to read through every other word is something that you've never heard of before and there's no dictionary for it so it would literally take me days weeks even months to just go through one article but that was actually beneficial because it helped me like free myself from being incarcerated like my mind being incarcerated from this idea that I was hopeless and uh, irreparable um and that led to me really starting to believe in myself like, and believing what this mentor was telling me about continuing my education. Eventually, he and others helped me put together a number of applications while I was still incarcerated uh, to continue my education. Um, I was, you know, it took months and months to put these together and almost immediately just rejection after rejection. I was rejected from every single place I applied to, more than likely because I had to check the box that I was a convicted, uh, you know, I had a criminal conviction. And, you know, so rejected from everywhere except for St. Louis University, where this uh, mentor was on the admissions committee. And, you know, I got into St. Louis University and kind of never looked back. I completed my MBA and PhD at the top of my class in much shorter time than my peers. Jeez. Moved on to Johns Hopkins, Howard, and all those, all those other places that I mentioned. So did a majority of your education take place outside of when you got out of prison, or did you get some of the basics while you were in prison? Yeah, that's a great question. On you know, So the work uh, that we're doing now at my organization, which uh, uh, bears the you know, same name as the title of the book, From Prison Cells to PhD, and I could you know, hopefully share a few words about that before we jump off. Sure. Um, but what I, I did not... Unfortunately, uh, and this is why the work that we do now at the organization is so important, uh, and the landscape has certainly changed since I was incarcerated, but in, in Missouri when I was incarcerated, there were no educational opportunities available. Um, so I was unable to tap into any educational offerings uh, while I was incarcerated. They offered GED, uh, but uh, you know, I, had a, I had completed uh, high school already uh, by the, you know, when, when I was incarcerated. So I had, you know, no educational opportunities uh, afforded to me. Um, and it was, you know, it's the challenge, it's that particular aspect that why aren't we offering people, you know, why would we put lock people away and because they've done some transgression to themselves or society uh, and then not offer them anything in the year two, three, four, five, 10, 20 years that they're gone, you're not offering them anything. What do you expect them to do when they get back? You know, well, how, I, how, how are they going to be more productive citizens if you don't offer them yeah, that's my That was my question. I mean, I've only seen prison because of television. I don't know anything. I mean, I've, I've visited yeah. people in a uh, low security facility, but I've never been into a maximum security prison. My idea of it is that all you're doing is you have to join a gang, otherwise everybody's trying to kill you. 
constantly. Like you don't have any chance to do anything, like sit down and read a book because somebody's going to take it away from you and beat you up or stab you because you're reading. That's what my idea of prison is. (laughs) Uh, You know, so that that's definitely the way prison is portrayed. And there's, of course, uh, truths to all portrayals uh, and also some inaccuracies to to all portrayals. Sure. Um, But so to the truth to that is, you know, I'll explain it in the way of me losing my father, for instance. So uh, death and dying is difficult for most human beings. It's a difficult thing, and we go through this thing called grieving, and there's, uh, you know, known stages to grieving. Um, When you think about, uh, like, the stage of anger is one of the stages of grieving. Like, you can feel angry about what's happening. Uh, In prison, I can't just be, I just can't just start yelling at someone and cursing and being angry at someone. Uh, That could literally cause me my life and cause me physical harm. So, you know, you you can't you can't be angry. That you have to be you have to pull that back some. Another another uh aspect of grief is sadness and you know, crying comes along with that. Crying could be seen as vulnerability and, and weakness and could cause you harm, even, you know, death. So there are those aspects of prison and it is this very volatile situation where um, you know, vulnerability will be, you know, people would no- will notice that and potentially mm-hmm. act on it to cause you harm. Um, and, you know, that's where I channeled my, this emotional distress that everyone is going through in prison. And coincidentally, the reason there's the heightened volatileness of interactions is because everyone is dealing with some types of trauma and emotional distress but they can't, you know, they can't channel it the way we can on the outside. So it results in people acting out in, in different ways that, you know, may be violent. Um, but yes, to your point, um, there is a good deal of, you know, that that takes place in prison. And I, and, and I talk about that in the book and, you know, the ways that I successfully navigated those spaces um, and, and ways for uh you know, individuals to really stay connected with community and a, and a, and a positive social net, uh, you know, pro-social connections on the outside or on the inside even to really move away from those more dangerous interactions. Do you, do you talk about the earlier charges that you had and like, did you end up getting incarcerated with the earlier charges or is it pretty much uh, most is most everything focused after the prosecutor and the yeah. and the imprisonment with the last one? Yeah, so uh, great question. The the book is, uh, you know, from prison cells to PhD, it's never too late to do good. And um, it's set up, you know, the first part of the title is clearly kind of my path, uh, you know, going to prison and, you know, then moving on to getting my PhD. Uh, but the book is, it, it is about my journey, but it's not really about me. It's more so about others' journey and the journey of individuals who end up in prison and the different social, societal, economical uh, challenges and things that go on around people that end up in prison. So I talk a little bit about that. And I, the book is set up in three parts. So, you know, pre-prison and the different things going on in my life and just the world. 
um, you know, pre-prison, then, you know, I go through my time in prison, and then I, you know, go through uh, my time after prison. Um, and so the the other subtitle of the book, It's Never Too Late to Do Good, is actually a phrase that my father used to tell me. So uh, English was actually my second language that I learned. My family, as I mentioned, we were immigrants from Haiti. Uh, and our primary language we spoke was Haitian Creole. And uh, as I was interacting and getting deeper in, involved in the system, my dad used to tell me, il ne jamais pas trop tard pour faire bien which the literal translation is, it's never too late to do good. But, the, you know, as with many language translations, they, you know, don't always translate exactly. Uh, and this, the more accurate meaning of what he was mentioning was, it's never too late to reach your full potential, and it's never too late to do the right thing. So what he was telling me is that I believe in you, and one day... I believe that you will believe in you and you will believe that you can bring value to this world in this different way than how you see it now. Um, and, you know, that, of course, I didn't get that full message. Uh, you know, I was, you know, he, he ended up leaving before I had the opportunity to let him know that I started to understand that. But it's actually this very powerful message for the, for the criminal legal system. We so often want to throw people away and you know give people long sentences and life sentences uh but in his perspective he had this patience that said that you know you have the ability to do good and i believe that eventually you will see it in yourself um i believe in you and you just need to believe in yourself and you know i i know that you will get there one day uh and when you're there i'll be there with open arms to embrace you and accept you and a lot of times particularly in, in black communities um, even parents and family end up throwing their family members away once they enter the legal system because they feel that they are hopeless and irreparable um, so that was one of the guiding messages that I leaned on to really help me through this idea of I am not this career criminal. I, I have the ability to do good. I have the ability to bring value into the world. Uh, how many, okay, so you must have made a lot, some friends in prison. Did any of them get out uh, and lead productive lives? What What is the likelihood yeah, of something, yeah, somebody great. like you happening? <laughs> That's a great question. And so I'll, I'll throw some numbers out. Um, and so 75, roughly uh, 60 to 75% of people that leave prison will end up stepping back in prison. Uh, if a person just simply steps foot on a college campus uh, and doesn't even get their degree or certificate, they lower the recidivism rate or chances of going back to prison down to the teens. So from you know nearly 60 to 70 down to the teens. If you get an associate's degree, it drops it down to 13%, a bachelor's degree down to 5%, a master's or higher, and it's less than 1%. You essentially eliminate the possibility of going back to prison. Um, so my organization uh, was co-founded by two individuals that I was incarcerated with. Uh, once this change started taking place in me, and I, you know, they, they saw me reading some of these more dense 
medical articles and things of that nature. And, you know, I'm telling, and, and I started to believe in myself. Uh, uh, you know, I would tell them, like, I'm going to get out and I'm going to be a doctor. And they just, like, look at me and laugh and, like, do you see where we are? What, what are you talking about? Are you yeah. crazy? Uh, and so they thought it was all a joke. Uh, and, um, I ended up getting out and then moving in that direction. Uh, and of course staying in touch with a bunch of people I was incarcerated with. And, you know, the two co-founders were inspired by this. And once they got out, I helped them use education to, as this transformative tool themselves. Uh, and then the three of us kind of started just helping others that were incarcerated with. Uh, to tap into education and use it as this transformative tool. Uh, and then eventually uh, we ended up starting the organization in 2017 as an official 501c3 um, and, and started doing work. We, we, we realized that the criminal conviction question was this barrier on employment and application. So we started doing ban the box work. Um, and, and my story was picked up by uh, the Washington Post. And, and from there kind of exploded, which actually led into to the book deal and things of that nature. But it, it really led to our message getting, uh, reaching more individuals that we were hoping it to reach. Uh, and, and that was kind of the start of the building of our organization, which has now been about five years. And we connect with close to 500 currently and formerly incarcerated people per year to help them tap into doing education as this transformative tool. And we have about a 95% success rate of helping individuals currently and currently and formerly incarcerated men and women um, get into college. It's, so um, there's a that's we, amazing. It's that across the country. Army of folks that are using education. What, what what was your question, Michael? Is that across the country, or is that in in a particular prison you're working? Yeah, uh, we are, we have a footprint in. Uh, 35 states at the moment. So we're we're nationally, uh, uh, you know, in terms of the formerly incarcerated people that we help, in terms of the people that start our program on the inside, the currently incarcerated folks, uh, we're currently inside Maryland prisons, D.C. jail or prison. Um, uh, we're moving into Missouri, which is my home state. Um, I, you know, I live in the Baltimore, D.C. area, but, you know, from St. Louis, as I mentioned, uh, so in Missouri prisons, California and North Carolina. So we're 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 expanding. We you know with the we've been fortunate enough to get some strong donors and funding that that is that is helping that expansion. Um, we got a big grant from the National Science Foundation. We've actually went after some non-traditional funders. Like we're we're really science focused, uh, but that's not our only focus. But just you know with my background. Um, we've been fortunate enough to really get some funders and donors to really believe in the idea. The, the numbers, I mean, the numbers don't lie. It's, it's very clear that education is the most powerful tool, so why aren't we using it? Um, so we've been fortunate well, enough to get some good that, funders to help us expand our mission. I, I, that's a great point. Um, and you're, you're fighting, have you know, people that have had years of bad experiences and and doing you know, most likely illegal things. They're in this, so they're in prison, and then you're dealing with them. What To me, it's like, what is the answer about getting kids more excited about going to school when they're younger, when they're in communities where perhaps education isn't really the biggest focus? 
Yeah, and I, I get that question a lot, and I, I jokingly say, you know, that's going to be my next nonprofit that I, that I start, <laughs> particularly since my wife is an early educator, and, you know, she taught both in Ferguson right when uh, all the things were happening around the killing of Mike Brown, all right, uh, yeah. and then we moved to Baltimore, and then all of a sudden, it, it was like, for, for a moment, I thought it was following me. <laughs> uh, we, we then moved to Baltimore City, and all the things happened with Freddie Gray. And then she was a teacher in Baltimore City when that was going on. Um, so she's had these unique teaching experiences in these, uh, you know, from you know communities that um, are facing these different challenges. And what the answer to you, you are absolutely correct. We need to be starting it. My work that I'm doing now with the nonprofit is after people. There's already been. A number of things and challenges and uh, systems that have could have done a better job for individuals uh, by the time they they reach our organization. Um, but you're absolutely correct. We we need to. I'm working on. We we have successfully created a prison to college pipeline. We've helped people, you know, who are currently and formerly incarcerated move into college. So we've created this prison to college pipeline. But we know, as I just mentioned. We need to find a way to go back a little earlier and stop yeah. the school to prison pipeline. Um, and, you know, partly that, you know, again, maybe the second nonprofit that I started. I, I truly believe and my wife is truly passionate. She has an advanced degree and, and working with uh, marginalized communities for early education. Um, and that we need to be providing more mentorship encouraging instead of the young me for instance i've probably you know had the same intellectual capacity that i you know clearly possess um but you know i was a i was a three-sport athlete mostly my the adults and you know teachers and authorities in my life really harnessed in on my athletic ability and my troublemaking ability there was less attention on my intellectual abilities um, so one, you know, really letting young black boys and girls understand that they can, you know, the possibilities of what they can be and expanding their mind. A lot of people, you know, the work that we do even in our organization is the broadening of horizons because most of the people that we interact with, even from when they were kids, never believed that they could be in a position like I'm in. It just was not something that is for them. College wasn't for them. Um, so changing that mindset right but That's then tough. places like baltimore city and ferguson are just underfunded so i mean there's there's that situation of how do we get these schools better funding and support for teachers um and, and you know that that would be another big challenge we have to to hurdle we have to get over as a society yeah there's a lot of hurdles i mean it's cultural <laughs> it's systemic it's all it's all of those things it's all it's, it all needs a lot of work. <laughs> it really does. Well, I guess we had probably better wrap this up, right? We've had you way too long. Yeah. But it's been really a fascinating conversation. I've I've loved hearing about this because, yeah, I, I just you know, to find out that there's some hope for people is just a great thing. Um, especially the the most yeah. at risk people that you can find to find out that there's hope is yeah. just, it's fabulous. And someone like you that's actually lived that life and done so much with your life yeah. after, afterwards, it's just, I mean, people are going to listen to you. 
Yeah, uh, one phrase that is often used is, is going from dope dealer to hope dealer. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Is, is, and uh, another one is, uh, you know, now uh, I'm moving words, not weight. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, my words carry weight. So in a way, I'm still Oops. moving and moving the weight. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's providing hope and letting people and believing in people and really trying to instill that hope an individual so they can believe in themselves and then providing some support around them. Absolutely. So we've got Dr. Stanley Andres. His book is From Prison Cells to PhD. It is never too late to do good. You can get his book on Amazon and probably do you have a website maybe? Yeah, so uh, From Prison Cells to PhD, you can find information about the book in our uh, nonprofit. Uh, you can find us on all the major social media outlets at Prison to Pro, uh, and then mine is at Professor Andres. Uh, so we would love to connect with you. Reach out if you, you know, we have many volunteer opportunities for people all across the country. So if you want to help out, you want to donate, we would we would love your support. Wonderful. Thank you so much Thank for you, talking doctor. to us today. All right. Have a good day. Thank you. You too. Bye bye. So I forgot all about breaks. Yeah. It sounds like that. Was, oops. Well, he's, that's, that was great listening to him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you just don't hear that kind of story very often. It's no. just, it was, I, I was fascinated. Anyway, so Andy, you can just insert the breaks, right? Oh, uh, yeah, I can do that after the fact. Okay. So, and where are we with time? Do we we have another set or can should we wrap uh, this one up? We're at about a half hour. So, yeah, another 10 minutes or so. Okay, well, let's do a break now. Oh, okay. And then we'll come back and finish it up. Is Dad home, or was you just? Yeah, he he came he came in. Oh, I don't know what he's doing. He's <laughs> whatever. Okay. Putting the groceries. Okay. Away. We'll we'll be back in a minute. The 2022 Bloomington Boat Show is here and going on now. Get out of the cold and into a 25,000-square-foot heated showroom at Dan Southside Marine. A huge inventory of boats means the best deals of the year. Over 60 boats on display from Premier, Avalon, Berkshire, Alumacraft, and more. Explore what's new for 2022 at the Bloomington Boat Show at Dan Southside Marine. Six blocks west of 35W on 98th Street in Bloomington. Visit bloomingtonboatshow.com. Tom Bernard talking with Brad Huckle and Michael Bilski of North American Banking Company. We've talked a few times over the years about how North American Banking Company has helped local businesses when they're ready for expansion. We love talking about the success of our customers. One example is suburban manufacturing in Monticello. They create innovative products that produce clean, dry air that is needed during the manufacturing process. We recently helped them expand their business. Moving into a new building gave them the space they needed to add new equipment and production lines. We were able to step in quickly and provide the financing they needed when they needed it. When we help businesses like Suburban Manufacturing with their expansion, it's beneficial for our customers, but their growth also creates new jobs in our community. So they make stuff that produces clean, dry air for manufacturing after working with Bilski. Do they breathe easier with their business belt? We certainly hope so, Tommy. And that's no hot air. Nice one. Why not bank with my banker? North American Banking Company, a better banking experience, member FDIC, and equal housing lender. 
You all have helped build MyPillow into the incredible company it is today and have trusted in Mike Lindell to give you a great night's sleep. Mike's latest incredible deal is on the Giza Dream Sheets, which you've heard me rave about before, that's for sure. These sheets are made from the world's best cotton, Giza. They are ultra soft and breathable, yet extremely durable. Right now, the Giza Dream Sheets at its lowest price ever. These sheets are 60% off, coming in as low as $39.99 with promo code TOM. Hey, look who I found. Hey. Hey. Hey, how you doing? How's everything going? Nice to show up for the last... Eight nice minutes. Nice you to come in, huh? <laughs> Catherine did a great um, job. Yeah, we had a, we had a we had a great guest. Yeah, yeah, hey, you would have. That's what it. I understand. The guest was terrific. Oh, I mean, <clears throat> I, it makes everybody look like they just sit on their ass and do nothing <laughs> when you well, talk to because, someone like that. Because yeah. most people do just sit on their ass. And it's do amazing. Might have something to do with it. So, you had a great guest. I'm glad to hear that. Yes. Basically, I just went through a situation where it took me 20 minutes to go seven blocks because the traffic was so bad, Jeez. I couldn't That's get anywhere. That's why we need hoverboards. We do need, we do need Another hoverboards. Another reason why mm-hmm. we need hoverboards. I've been saying this forever. So <laughs> many reasons why we need hoverboards. Just unbelievable. Bounce above the cars. I mean, I got to be honest with you. I will never, ever again after eleven o'clock go west instead of east. I would always go east. Oh, I don't know. No what the matter what, would I be. will head east. Yeah. <clears throat> How about south? How about Due north east? North, what about south northwest? Not west. You northwest want, you is that okay? <laughs> but here's my favorite part. So I'm going out there. I'm looking for this. I'm looking for that. And blah 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 blah. I'm take, trying to take care of this stuff. And try. Oh, by the way, I got the car washed. I filled up the car and got it washed right there at the gas station. Oh, was it four hundred dollars? Uh, it was $92. Oh, I, was, I was on the phone oh. with Michael Bryant when I filled it up. Yep, he was. $92 to fill up the car. And then I ran it through the car wash. I just got out and brought the groceries in. It looks like they never washed the car. Hmm. Oh. It looks terrible. Hmm. So I'm going to go to the guys across the street and ask them to do it. They do a great job. <clears throat> no, they'll do a great job. But here's my favorite. So I get on the phone with Catherine. I said, there is no way I'm going to make it. I'm going to try to be there about 15 minutes late, and I ended up being a half an hour late. But as I'm talking to Catherine, I'm looking for ground pork for one of the things that she wants to make. Found out I had to have them grind up a pound and a half of pork for me because they didn't have any ground pork. So that took about another 15 minutes. It was a thrilling trip. Well, those days. at least you've got something to complain about. I'm not complaining about it. I'm just pointing out the fact that I am a vi- Was that Tevin? Is that, is, that, is, that is that Trader Pittman? Hey, it's his birthday. Be nice it is his birthday. Oh, happy birthday. You Thank and you. Tony Lee. What is that? I don't know. Somebody's drilling yeah, keeps, here now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it keeps happening. Yeah, I know. I kept on yeah. trying to turn off my mic, so I, it just no, started. Yeah. It just started. I don't know. I can't take They're much more of the more drilling. Pork. Yep. They're just following you around. I've hired someone to just follow you with a drill yeah. mm-hmm. and randomly use it when you're on air. It. it does feel just that way. back for any time you've ever been, you know, unkind to me. Hey, I'm working on a new impression. You want to hear it? Yeah. Here's my new impression. <clears throat> I'm Kevin Pittman. I'm a big, do- big deal now. What do you think of that impression? <laughs> what? What is? I don't even get it. What? 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 <laughs> 
that was weird. I what? heard that somebody is uh, might be moving on to a, a, a big shot career. Oh, moving I would, on. Uh, yeah, I would definitely call it a big on. shot career. Yeah, unless unless Doug's listening, then then yes, it's a big shot career. Mm-hmm. But what's your big shot career? Uh, oh no, I'm just working at Walls are here starting next month. Well, that's You're exciting. kidding. Mm-hmm. You are believe you, that? Are you can I get a free cars? car? Mm, no, yeah, wait, I already I'll, do. I'll see what I can do. I'll get you a good car. Yeah, can we get a free car from <laughs> Uncle Tevin? Yeah. Are you going to be selling cars, or are uh, you doing? Yeah. Oh, that's fun. You got to do that one, do one thing for me. What's you got to do it for me. One of your first ones, if anybody's giving you trouble, do what the guy didn't use cars. Get in a goddamn car. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he should do that. Well, well because right. Tevin's we a little larger than most guys. and fired might... on your first day. I think that's that's number one yeah. on the list. You should, well, that's yeah. true. You should no. start negotiating on prices. Yeah. Just because. Uh, <laughs> I know we, they say we can't, but right. I'm going to negotiate with you. They make an you. exception for me. <laughs> But well, that's great, Tevin. Congratulations, oh, Doug yeah, Sprinthal. Just you. horrible to work with. I'm that's telling what I've you. Heard. I dropped his name once, and they almost threw me out. So I, was like, <laughs> I promise I won't bring him up ever again. <laughs> that's probably a, probably a good plan. No, it'll be great. Uh, Paul and Andrew do a fun. Well, Andrew's running the show now. Paul's just sitting on his ass, looking out the window. You know. But no, they're great people to work with and for. You're, you're going to love it, pal. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's great. Yeah, everybody we know who works there ends up staying there a long time. It's true. Well, and loving their job. So you're going to be working with Jerry anyway, aren't you? Yeah, I didn't like. I was walking through and heard my name get yelled from across the the room, and I was like, "What the hell are you doing here?" I was like, "I don't know, I don't know anybody that worked here." Yeah, he's so been there a, for a really long time. I have a grudge with Doug because he took Jerry away from the New Hope Cinema Girl, mm-hmm. so we don't get ribs anymore. Mm. Way to go! <laughs> oh, he works at Walzer now. Yeah, he's been working at Walzer for a long time. Well, I, he's I supposed to be bringing in Melissa or. Um, Molasses cookies and yeah, he used like, to bring you know, yeah. Oh, oh yeah, I know. I he claims he's gonna bring in, but no, it doesn't happen. Doesn't happen. No. I love a molasses cookie. Yeah, he said or that's four. what he's gonna Dude, do. Bring cool. it to you. Delicious. You in particular? I feel like molasses is underappreciated. These I love days. molasses. It's good stuff. Mm-hmm. Do you think you can take a spoonful? I know that I'm showing my hippy dippy lady traits here, but you can take a spoonful of blackstrap molasses every day as a multivitamin. Wow. Hey. Nice. All I knew about like molasses was it was so slow. many like vitamins and minerals in oh. it that you can just some people just do that as a multivitamin. Huh. Tasty. And what is molasses? Like is it just like it's unrefined sugar oh, basically. Okay. Yeah. It's basically you take the uh, sugar beets usually and uh, you extract the sugar out of them in like a it's basically like simple syrup, kind of. Oh, uh, okay. But that's how it comes out of the beets, is you boil them, and then the sugar comes out and that sort of thing. But then usually what they do <coughs> is they'll evaporate out the moisture, so you're left with crystals, which they then crush. Oh, okay. But molasses is just you don't bother with doing that. And I think it tastes better than sugar, so. It is. Does it really? It's delicious. Mm-hmm. Depends on the sugar. Did you just I remember well, always... Briar, briar, something. Yeah, briar rabbit, right? Briar, briar rabbit. rabbit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember always having mm-hmm. a bottle of that in the back of the cupboard growing always. up because my mom used them for cookies just during Christmas. Oh yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Yep, I make ginger snaps every Christmas for Dan's family, and I use the molasses. Yeah. Bust out the molasses, and I made. Oh my gosh, I made a molasses <clears throat> cake. Remember this Christmas? Yeah. For Melissa, yeah. gluten free. That was delicious. 
It was really good. I love molasses. And it's you also, made it for somebody else, but you know it was delicious. Well, we had it. We had it at eat it. We had it at our Christmas dinner because she can't eat gluten, and so I made it. It was like for yep. her, and she took most of it mm-hmm. home, but I had a piece of it. And molasses is also the deadliest condiment. The deadliest. What? 1919, Massachusetts <clears throat> got flooded with molasses, killed 21 people. How did he get flooded with like a pressurized tank of molasses exploded? Oh, that's not good. Well, it wasn't the molasses; it was the explosion. It was uh, thirteen thousand tons of molasses uh, at thirty-five miles an hour rushed through Massachusetts. Rushed through Boston. No. What? Yeah. I still don't understand how you die from molasses. Well, I mean, imagine getting hit with something (laughs) that thick at thirty-five miles an hour. It's like getting hit by a car. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh. yeah. <laughs> Not no, a good way to thank go. Thank you. Well, and also, people, it was so tall that people, they tried to like swim out of it, but it was so dense that they yeah. couldn't. Oh. Yeah, you can't go. move God. out of Yeah. Yeah. So. That's uh, very weird. That's the weirdest really way to die I've ever heard of. It's just like so. Very so you just weird. got hit and had no idea. <laughs> oh my God. You get hit, hit from behind by warp speed molasses. Yeah, and then you try All to the run ways out you can croak. You can't move. It's like those exactly. dreams That's where you're trying to run, but you can't. Because you're stuck but in molasses. tastier. Well, you know what I love about this? You guys are all talking about Dear. molasses, this and the other thing. And then the poor boy over here, I'm going. I think my dad used to like cornbread and sorghum. He couldn't mm-hmm. afford molasses, so he put sorghum molasses on it. Sorghum. Is molasses cheap. is cheap. Is it? Yeah, yeah. Briar Rabbit is like not Briar expensive. Not as cheap as sorghum. Yeah. I don't know where you get sorghum. I mean, sorghum's like a grain. Yeah. Yep. I, know, I know pheasants I know, love it, but like, where do you even like? It, and there's just there's like, go to go Cup to Lunds Foods and, yeah, and be like, I would like there's beer there's beer made from it because it's gluten free. Yeah, it's gluten free. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I think I didn't I think know. I was gonna yeah. make you a cake for your birthday. Yeah. <laughs> eat I'll it. make you a sorghum. I need half of it, and then I'd be like, "Here's what's left." Alex is like, "I made this for you, Kevin." Gone, but I. Let's find the cheapest ingredients in the world. The sentiment. I think we should get five people talking at once. This is working really well. Everything was fine until you showed up. Yeah, yeah, I noticed exactly. It's called sweet sorghum, and yeah, it's basically molasses made out of sorghum. So hey, it's a cheap. It's cheap. Molasses. I uh, yeah, it seems that What's way. What's it called? Yeah, S- sorghum, sorghum syrup, sweet sorghum, sorghum syrup, oh, sorghum okay. molasses. Because sorghum itself is just like a grain. Yeah, it's just yeah. a grain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I guess yeah. you can make molasses out of it if you really want to. Indeed. Should we wrap this first hour up? Have we done our Have we done our time? Yes, we I don't have. Know. Oh, we have. Okay. okay. We'll go to school. Uh, we should now. mention on. Should mention on the way out, ladies and gentlemen, that Mari Povich has retired. So I'm oh. sure we'll see him down at uh, down at the Breakers more often <laughs> over the winter. I didn't know he was still working. Yeah, he's still working. Oh. Somebody's got to tell us who the father are. Yeah, really. Yeah. How he's still are doing that? Going to know? Yeah. I don't think he still uh, no, does, does that. Does I don't he? think so either. I have no idea. I don't know. I don't watch daytime <laughs> TV. Mm, well, he's 83 years old, so... He's 83? Is he really? Yeah. Wow. He looks good. Right. I saw him a couple years ago, and he looks good. Yeah. Great guy, actually. He's a very yeah. nice man. Yeah. All right, we'll take our break and we are, be right back. We'll schmooze. We got Kostaki in the second hour, don't we? Yes, we do. Uh-oh. Here we go. We'll be back with the family.